Hi, welcome to yet another Devon podcast. This is your host Pani, and today's topic is low-code platforms. I have my colleagues with me today, and we are going to touch upon topics on quality, flexibility, lock-in, and various criteria to consider when opting for a low-code platforms. So let's get started. So let me start uh, talking about uh, what low-code is. Uh, well, this is a a concept where people can develop applications, both mobile and web, with no or very minimal programming background. Uh, so a lot of organizations find it very interesting and beneficial because it helps them to build applications at a pretty rapid pace uh, with a workforce not necessarily of highly technical uh, capabilities. But on the other hand, there are also some counter arguments why low-code may not be the best uh, option to consider. So uh, let's hear uh, from uh, Remco. What do you think about, uh, what's your opinion on low-code? Oh, so what's, what's my opinion on low-code? So, um Ah, very good question. I, I have a lot of uh, opinion on this part. So maybe so. First, like I'm saying, it's it's a way to rapid develop applications in a in a rapid way. I think that's one of the the promises of of the companies delivering those platforms, uh, and and it's partly true. Uh, so um, because yeah, with with just a user interface, you can quickly. Um, um, yeah, create screens. You can quickly create workflows, and uh, in, in in a very fast time, you do have a working application. Um, but I do see uh, a lot of risks there. Uh, also, like you stated, the, you, you probably need less technical people on that because you don't need to program. My my basic opinion is um, it's a little bit a false promise because eventually you are programming. You are not writing code. You are not writing statements, but the things you click in those editors, you're still creating logic. You're creating decision flows, um, um, and, and and you need to validate those flows. And one of the things I see uh, that uh, one of the companies I have been working for, or uh, uh, and, and we also try to um, inspire developers or uh, all developers to uh, to focus a little bit more on unit testing. And, and and we also started to have discussions with local developers like, hey, you should also try unit testing. And, 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 and when you really dive into what they are doing, you basically see they're creating flows and they should be able to unit test that. Uh, um, and yeah, they're just creating logic. So in, in that sense, uh, um, I think if you want to get the maximum out of those platforms, you probably also need to be a, a, a developer or somebody who understands programming and the logic of, 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 of flows. And I think uh, that's maybe one of the reasons why this promise cannot be kept. Because yeah, if you put less technical people on it who don't understand what they're doing, um, um, on the long term, you probably end up with a an application that's hard to maintain because of high complexity in the flows or uh, a lot of bugs. Uh, um, yeah, that's basically this, the starting point I would s- set here. Yeah. Okay. Navid. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I 
kind of agree with with what you say, but I also had some some questions on on some parts of it. Eh? So one of the things that you said was, oh, uh, they're they're able to write unit tests on those floats, and for me, that is uh, a definition issue, right? I don't see that as a unit test because a unit test for me is uh, is like something that is very strictly defined, right? So it has to be in memory it doesn't need to interact with with other stuff and all those kind of things so by almost by definition you cannot write unit tests on low code uh, modules yeah how, how do you see that yeah well but, I, I, mm -hmm. I, well if i could shortly elaborate on that one because for instance i have seen some demos from the from from the Mendix platform mm -hmm. where you create flows and uh, um, and I've seen people creating uh, basically a process flows, which takes some data from the database, then does some mutations or some decisions, and then also makes changes to the state again. But mm -hmm. Mendix, for instance, also supports something what they call um, non-persistent variables. And if you look at it that way, then you could transform those process flows into almost pure functions or what we call in, in, in programming a pure functions, something that a uh, decision flow that takes input from a variable, which is not in a database, and then puts the result back again in that variable. Mm -hmm. And that you could be able in theory, and, and I've seen it working also in, in practice, uh, create other um, process flows that validate mm -hmm. those flows. Yeah. Um, you want to validate this decision logic. For example, I've seen a team which created uh, those flows and, 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 and they created decision logic. And, and in the end, in a report, there was some kind of uh, traffic light, green, orange, or red. And based on that, in the report, uh, somebody probably from the business needs to decide, hey, is this customer still a good customer or do we need to take action? And basically, mm -hmm. they only validated the basic flow. Hey, will, the, will, the, will the light turn green at this case? And if that's the case, then, then, then it's good. Um, all those alternatives, they didn't test. So then I suddenly thought, so if, and I challenged him on that part. So basically you're not thoroughly testing this. So the alternative paths haven't been tested. So basically, yeah, what could happen here is that there's a bug in your application and the business actually is going to maybe even cancel the contract or uh, something like that. So in that sense, I think um, um, it, it, it is testable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and, and also, right, so the behavior of the team, the level of importance a team gives to quality, of course, the kind of tooling, uh, are they low platform, are they like programmers, are, that does have influence. However, quality mindset itself is much beyond the tooling and uh, the, the platforms that you use. Yeah. Uh, so, so just to ex expand that uh, uh, conversation, right? So, for example, we say that, so if, if team has a high level of unit testing or high level of whatever our test automation, it's a, it sort of implies that they have higher quality. But on the other hand, the benefit that you get from low code platforms is a lot of the common concerns are already taken care by the platform. Uh, so wouldn't that be like, you know, if you, if you want to draw an, an analogy, let's say if you go to a nice uh, barista to get a nice coffee, of course, you know, so you can make it a lot of customized, uh, you know, quite nice flavors and stuff like that. Uh, but on the other hand, if you have like an espresso machine at home, you can also get a really high quality coffee and it's so easy to uh, make and it's so quick to make. And you more or less get similar quality or sometimes depending on the kind of barista that you go to, maybe a better quality coffee if you use an espresso machine. Uh, so 
so so the, the point i want to make is quality is more is is a bigger topic and not uh, than you know a code or no code or low code platforms right yeah. how do you guys see that yeah i i think i think you're right but but i also think that that uh, things like um, what, what you mentioned uh, about uh, about taking away concerns and uh, and stuff like that but also something that that uh, remco said earlier um, in this conversation about uh, not necessarily having uh, developers who uh, who are very very technical uh, technically skilled is i i think it's a double edged sword so on, on the one hand, yes, of course, you get all these components that are like uh, tested perfectly, and then you you just integrate them into your um, into your flow or your process, which is good because then you don't have to test that part anymore because you that has already proven itself. But on the other hand, it's it's also uh, I believe it's um, it, it's making you uh, it's it's teaching developers like. Oh, you can offload that task, right? And I don't think that is a long-term good idea. Also, the same thing goes like for why would you hire less technically skilled people to do stuff and then compensate that with with a low-code platform or a no-code platform? It's not necessarily hire less technical, you know. What I mean is you need different type of expertise. Uh, because sometimes, let's say, if you're uh, someone who is working in fraud detection department in, in a financial organization, right? I mean, for them, uh, knowing the different type of government regulations and the different type of, uh, you know, all the, the, the business functionality is much more important and relevant compared to how good of a C-sharp programmer you are, you know? So there is always... Sure. so. However, so now we touched upon the quality, right? So, so now we also touched upon uh, the skill level. Um, so, the, of course, that, that the skill level is relatively low for low-code platforms, obviously. <laughs> but I, I just also want to focus on um, flexibility or maintainability. How do you guys see uh, compared to, you know, how flexible do you see, let's say, a team using a low-code platform to address their business needs versus a team which is actually using, let's say, a standard development practice? Uh, what, what do you mean with flexibility? Let's say, for example, I want to, like, really tweak uh, a certain thing. Usually with these low-code platforms, what happens is whatever is given for you out of the box, uh, yeah, you got to use that, use it. And of course, they do also, I mean, depending on the platform that you're using, they also give you a, a, a level of customization. Uh, uh, but if you, if you really want to, let's say, expose, I want to expose this component for my API gateway to do certain thing and only from, you know, when, when very niche requirement comes in, then, you know, then you start hitting the low-code platform's limitation. Is that something that you also notice? Santaji? Yeah, uh, so I noticed this uh, whenever such upgrade are re released. Uh, so from one low-code platform, from one version to the next version, you might see uh, some of the uh, packages are deprecated or some of the new packages introduced, which will enforce the new behavior. And you have to completely get rid of the existing behavior. So there are a lot of refactoring 
stuff like this might break the working product uh, or will take more time in maintaining or bringing back to the <clears throat> latest code base. Isn't it same also, let's say if I upgrade Java version or Oracle version or I don't know, like uh, anything. So is, is it, uh, do you see that as a problem unique to low code or is it like part of the whole software world as such? Uh, yeah, you can say that part of the software world, but when you comes, uh, when you uh, create a, your project with such a low code platform, it will integrate several different packages. And then it's, it becomes a little bit difficult to track, okay, this sub, this update is from which package, this update is from that package, and what are the things are changed, and then you need to learn what is behind it. Not just, okay, the code is working fine with new code, but when we try to migrate from the older code to the newer code, then we have to completely understand. And that is what the clarity uh, is not very much visible when you start using the low code. So yeah. So basically you are saying, you know, the low code platform acts as more like a black box, you know, so since if something changes, you only, yeah, if something breaks, then you notice and then your ability to fix things are a little bit low because it's sort of a black box. So Navid. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, well, uh, like, you know, and uh, it is equality is a little bit of my, uh, my thing. So one of the things that, that I fear or I see uh, becoming ever uh, more difficult to do with, uh, with low code is having that really fine grained, uh, control over uh, your process, and and what I mean by that is that that is that I have been involved in a lot of projects where you build something which works really great, and that wasn't even low code, uh, so it, it, everything works great, and and you're satisfied with it, and then as time moves on, you change the project or you change the application or whatever, and 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 the requirements change, and sometimes you might need things like. Um, a big overhaul of, a, of a, a certain algorithm, for example, or an optimization of a process. And those optimizations can be radically different than what the low-code platforms uh, actually provide you tools for. And, and when, once you are in those uh, platforms, then it is very hard to break away from it uh, unless you, you are willing to just rewrite the entire process because of that one part that you cannot do in the low code platform. So uh, to give you an example, we had, uh, we had a project where we had a process that worked perfect until we hit like uh, 50 million users. Once we hit 50 million users, that was like a threshold that made the entire system go uh, extremely slow. So we, we tried to optimize that in the code and, and we did that and we did that and, and nothing helped. And the only thing that, that we found that would truly help is like to rethink the entire um, script, actually. Like, okay, how are we going to do this? Are we going to do this through the model? Are we going to offload some parts of the processing from the database, for example, and stuff like that? Uh, are we going to do this in the cache? So, and those kind of limitations are put on you by, by these kind of platforms that you cannot deviate from because it, they don't have these tooling. Good. Okay. So I, I think that's that's a, another dimension of flexibility that you're bringing. Eh? So mm -hmm. basically, what are the limitations of the platform itself? Eh? So the, which, which is quite good. So I want to touch upon the other dimension of low code, which is about the lock-in part, right? So if, for example, if you develop 
uh, application, let's say, and language. So would you also see in same light, you know, I started developing using uh, Java or C Sharp or like LAMP stack or whatever. So hence, I am sort of also logged into the technology choice. Do you see the same way as, okay, I'm using this low-code platform A, platform B. So do you see yeah. in the same light or do you see any difference in such a lock-in I, I see, I see actually um, the the lock-in of of low-code platform vendors. I see that as a more invasive kind of lock-in than a vendor lock-in, as you would have like uh, when you go to a let's say a public cloud vendor, right? So I see that it's um, well, at least in theory, it's easier to move from from uh, Google Cloud, uh, let's say, to Azure or to or to AWS than it is to move away from one low-code platform to, to another low-code platform because it is so embedded in your logic and in your code and, th- and you don't have these interchangeable uh, widgets, let's say, or components uh, that, that are exactly the same thing uh, within different uh, platforms. Okay, excellent. Um- so, when would you suggest your customers to use low-code? Remco, when do you think it is a good idea to use low-code platforms? Yes, I think since we already discussed the part that we say, hey, we see that at some point the application could become harder to maintain. I think what I've seen is that it probably... The, the, the productivity of, of local probably will be in the beginning where you just have a small application. So I think my first statement there would be if you can keep your application small, um, that low code could be applicable. Uh, and also if you, uh, a small application with also very low complexity, once the complexity of that application grows, um, then probably the maintainability will become more difficult uh, and also maybe it, it will become diff- more difficult to test, etc. And then probably you will reach that you should consider moving to something else. So my statement would be, um, yeah, use low code basically for small applications with low complexity. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with, with you on that part. Uh, however, I would, I would go even further than that and, and would say, uh, I personally would use low code for things like an MVP or a, or a, or a proof of concept, right? Just so I don't invest a lot of time and effort in testing my ideas, <laughs> but once I've tested it and validated it, then I would move away from them. But that's my personal uh, approach to those things. Excellent. So we talked about uh, the pros uh, a bit. We talked, touched upon the quality, flexibility, the lock-in, platform limitations. Are there any things, uh, any other things that we need to consider? Well, uh, yeah. So you you said we touch upon the pros. That's that's true. Um, the, the way I see is see it is that um, um, those local platforms they you c- can consider them a full integrated tool set. So uh, the, the 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 real pros there I also see is that it's it 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 resolves a lot of issues for you. And so for instance, deploying to different environments, uh, those things are taken care of. Uh, most of the time, version controls integrated. So in that sense, uh, you just start start up the environment and you start clicking your the, the logic you want, want to create. So in that sense, 
for me, it feels that it's the intentions are to be really productive. I think it helps. And since it also do not require you to have knowledge on uh, on version control and, 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 and deployment stuff. Um, and maybe that's something we discussed a few podcasts ago. You require less T-shaped people. So, uh, so, so they all just need to know what, what do I need to build? And just I start, start clicking. Of course, there are some side effects on that as well. But I think that's a promise they, they, partly, can, they, they partly make true. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think what your it's it's partly dependency, but it's also partly a risk, right? Because because the code has already been written and, and tested and so on and so on. So I I hear this also a lot in the marketing of low code platforms. Like, oh, uh, the risk is minimized because we have tested this and it's already proven and stuff like that, and you can just click it uh, together. But I think I think that's that's one way of looking at at the risk. Right. The other way of looking at risk is what is the risk in the longer term? Right. So what I see is uh, one of the risks that nobody uh, talks about, at least I haven't heard anybody talk about it, is, okay. what happens if that low code platform vendor goes bust? Right. What happens? Do you, uh, at some point, your application keeps evolving, right? And once the local platform uh, vendor is not uh, providing support or no longer uh, developing the product or the platform, where are you stuck in time? Right. But that's not a risk only, that's not a risk only unique to low core platforms. I mean, what if, what if uh, AWS goes down? What if, so, I mean, so there is no end to it. I mean, that, that's why I think what you're touching upon is the whole concept of tool selection. And because one of the areas when enterprises uh, go for tool selection is also the stability of the organization that is backing uh, backing the mm-hmm. tool, right? So, um, so, so yes, I, I do agree that is a risk factor, but I do not agree that it is only unique to low-code platforms. Uh, that So that is platforms yeah. in general. Yeah, you're, However, you're right. and the, yeah, exactly. So, so uh, on the on the other side, I always look at low code as a, a means of democratizing the technology. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's about uh, people who has uh, I, uh, brilliant ideas, are domain knowledge, uh, are capable, uh, are providing them capabilities uh, to build software. Uh, so they don't need to go through like years of learning and then start building but that's so for me that is like making uh uh the whole uh you know like ready to cook meals mm-hmm. even though you are not a really great chef you can still make good enough meal for you to have a food of yeah. course when you want to make a, a really special cuisine then you need an expert chef of course uh, but for day to day using you know you should be yeah so that's how I see it. Yeah. So you're 100% right. Huh? Uh, and and it's, it's a very, uh, n- very nice view of it uh, because I, I do, I definitely believe in democratizing technology. I think we, uh, we shouldn't be gatekeepers in that sense, right? Anybody who has a good, great idea and should be able, should have access to the tools that, uh, to, to make that idea a reality. So I do believe in that. However, 
having an idea and building it is one thing, but building like really sustainable, maintainable, scalable, and highly available systems is something that you do need some expertise on in this field. And that, uh, so that will be a little bit of gray area. And I think I'm not saying that 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 we shouldn't do low, low code uh, for that for those reasons. I'm just saying we really need to be aware where that gray area starts and where it ends, and where we really need the expertise of actual code. Yeah, yeah, but I I think that but that I totally agree. But I think so in that sense, I think that that ad, that low code has its place in in a solution for for for, for companies. But like for any solution you should always consider a solution temporary and at a certain state, a certain point of time, you might decide that this solution uh, does not fit your current state or your future state, and then you need to adopt. And that's probably where a lot of organizations are struggling. Uh, the, 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 the solution isn't a fit, fit anymore, but for some reason they aren't able to move towards something um, that is required for them for for several reasons so uh, yeah i think it still could be an idea to start with low code if you if you want to but you should be really realistic that yeah if if it doesn't fit anymore that you need to to move on to something different and absolutely uh, yeah and and, you know so 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 it's also to do with that whole sunken cost fallacy where i mean if if i replace the word low code with mainframes You know, so, <laughs> yeah, that's a funny one. So we 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 still have a lot of organizations who dependent on mainframes, um, and of course, I mean things are working out for them. Uh, however, yeah, so do they still have the same level of agility as some other organization <laughs> who are using modern tooling or modern technologies? So that's that's always a question, right? So, so I think the the technology direction a organization takes should be dictated more on the business driver. And as long as that is very clear for an IT organization, uh, then the choice of uh, using a, a new platform or actually uh, sunsetting an existing platform, those decisions become relatively easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. For me, the main thing is, is especially on this topic is, um, we need to create awareness at, at organizations like when you uh, when do you make that switch because if you wait long enough then you become uh, guys right <laughs> after 30 years are still running on mainframes uh, and so uh, you need to be you need we need to learn from our let's say quote unquote mistakes from the mainframe time uh, era and say okay now we're moving into a different uh, um, business or a different uh, scale, and now we really need to make that move uh, because the longer you wait, the the more expensive and the more difficult it becomes to move away from these uh, platforms. Yeah, so I think the the fundamental question is it not necessarily low code or a custom code or no code. Everything boils down to return on investment. If you so return on investment also has multiple dimensions. Like, are you first in the market? How fast are you? How how easy for you to change? And how easy uh, for your existing workforce to build such a solution? So these are various aspects or dimensions that needs to be considered um, to, to really decide what is best. Uh, otherwise, uh, you cannot really decide whether low code is good or bad, only looking at that particular solution uh, in itself. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, everything has has this nuanced uh, discussions around it, of course. Absolutely. So, on that note, so listeners, so we talked about today on various topics ranging from how quality varies with low code and not low code, uh, where we concluded, hey, quality is mostly to do with the mindset of the people. Of course, low code also low code platforms also provide means. In fact, they also help you to sort of take away the common concerns because the platform itself implements some of it. Regarding flexibility, yes, there is some flexibility uh, that it offers, but at, when you reach, uh, when you want to choose a low code platform, always look into its limitations. Uh, limitations in terms of what, how, what is the level of customization it offers? What are the other functionalities it offers? And also look into the idea of lock-in. Uh, does it allow you to move to a different platform and things like that? So these are the key considerations that you need to take into account. And when is the best time to use low-core platform, like rapid development to enhance productivity, proof of concepts. On that note, thank you very much for listening. Till next time. Bye.